Have you ever been, been driving someplace and the feeling hits you, I've already been here, even though you're not sure that you've already been there? Or maybe you entered a room for the first time and it looks strangely familiar. Or you were talking to someone and suddenly it sounds very familiar and you're thinking in your head, did we already have this conversation? Such occurrences are often called déjà vu. And déjà vu is a French term meaning already seen. Déjà vu experiences reportedly happen to 60 to 80% of people. Now, I don't know what causes such moments. I looked online a little bit, and I found one explanation is that there can be a split-second delay in the transfer of information from one side of our brain to the other side of our brain. And that delay can make the brain feel, or the brain experience, the same information not once, but twice. It's deja vu. Well, if you, even if you've never had a deja vu moment in the past, you, I'm just here to tell you that counting today and the next two Sundays after this, you might experience one. And it won't be because of some strange brain transfer happening. Actually, the next few Sundays, the, the sermon may, might sound a little bit familiar because the topics are from messages that I shared exactly one year ago. Repetition is good. It helps us remember. It battles our tendency to forget, and with each year of getting older, I like repetition a whole lot more. It's kind of like the, the guy at the country church revival. Garth is his name, and Garth was known as the, the town drunk, a worthless, lying, stealing, honorary old man. His wife left him. His kids left him. And Garth was so ornery, even his dog left him. That's ornery. Well, every year at the church revival, this ornery fellow would respond to the final day's altar call. Garth would come down the aisle shouting out, Fill me, Lord Jesus! Fill me, Lord Jesus! And the pastor would pray over Garth. And there would be hope, a longing in the people of that community that Garth would change his ways. <clears throat> and Garth would change for a few days. But soon enough, the old Garth would go back to his drinking, lying, cheating, and stealing ways. Now, there was one year that was different. The last night of the revival, Garth made his annual altar call response. He shouted the expected words, Fill me, Lord Jesus! Fill me, Lord Jesus! When suddenly a voice came from the back saying, Don't do it, Jesus! He leaks! And by the way, you might have just had a deja vu moment there. You've probably heard that story before because I've told it a few times. But it's a good story, and the truth of the matter is that we do leak. Life gets busy. We forget. We need to be reminded. We need to recommit. And with the beginning of a new year, it's the perfect time to remember and to recommit to Bethesda's mission statement. It's on the screen and on the platform there. It says, in Christ we love people, impact our community, and make disciples. 
Our mission statement is a call to action based on Jesus' two great commandments. Love God, love people. Our mission statement also focuses on the great commission found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. As a church and individuals, you and I are called to love people, to impact our community, and to make disciples. We've received grace through Jesus Christ. We love God. And so in response to all the blessings we've been given, we seek to carry out his mission. And we do it, as our mission statement says, in Christ. See, to be in Christ is to be in a relationship with Jesus, to be in union with Christ, to be indwelt by him, to participate in Jesus' work, and to share in his suffering and one day in his glory. Our being in Christ defines our identity. It declares our belonging. And it assures us of our promised glory. Paul stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And that's exciting because you know what? That is you and that is me. We are new creations in Christ. This morning we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. And this passage speaks to our blessings that we've received in Christ. Now I'll be using the NIV translation in case you want to look up the passage in your Bible or on your phone. Again, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. And if you've, if you've read this letter, Paul's letter here to the Ephesians has a theme of, one of the themes, I should say, is union with Christ, being in Christ. Roughly 40 times in this six-chapter letter, Paul used the terms either in Christ or in him. In fact, he starts off with Ephesians 1.1, Paul wrote, Paul wrote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Those spiritual blessings can be summarized as being chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and sealed in the Spirit. They are the, the blessings of our salvation. And so let's start off this morning with being chosen by the Father. In verses 4 through 6, in Ephesians chapter 1 there, we read, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be homely, holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Paul's first words there say, God chose you before the creation of the world. Later in the passage, Paul wrote, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him. To be chosen by God is to be predestined according to his plan. Scripture supports it. 
If you go to Acts chapter 13, verses 48, it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, and what, he, what they heard was Paul's message, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And, and predestination means our evangelism efforts will meet success. Some are appointed to believe. They will believe. Romans 8.29 reads, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Jesus said in John 6.37, he said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. He also said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Romans 9.18, Paul wrote, So then God has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills. Think about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. They didn't choose God. God chose them. He made them his people. They weren't chosen because they were smart or extremely faithful or beautiful or powerful. Now, as I share those passages, I realize that this word predestination can present a challenge. For some, it has a negative connotation. It makes us puppets with no free will. And honestly, none of us wants to be puppets, right? but we're not puppets. We make decisions. We're responsible for our actions. Romans 10.9 states, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We make a decision. We confess. God saves. And so what we have to do is we have to balance our responsibility with God's sovereignty. You can't surprise God. God's will will be done down to the most minute detail. God is in absolute control. And the fact is, is that none of us would want it any other way. Because God is sovereign, we know that his promises are true. His plans will not be thwarted. We put our trust in God knowing that, things will, that he works things out for the good of his people. God's sovereignty, his, his control is a blessing. And so, it's good to, to talk about free will and predestination, but rather than get really kind of worked up about them, we just simply should rejoice that God chose you and he chose me. We're here today because he loves us. We didn't earn it. We can't repay it. It's a gift called grace. God acted, and we accepted God's gift when we put our trust in Christ. And as a result, we are new creations. And that means that our identity, our identity is in Christ. We are God's adopted children. We are heirs to the kingdom of God. And if you think about that, how cool is that? That's amazing. You know, our, our identity, it says something about it. Think of it this way. Have you ever heard anyone say, she is caring just like her mama? Or he is fearless just like his daddy. And those can be great compliments. Of course, what we inherit as part of our identity isn't always great. He might have his dad's temper. Or she might have her mom's tendency to whine. You know, Mary says, my wife Mary says, our son Adam walks just like me. And I think, poor kid. Mary says, Brett has my work ethic, and I guess that's good. I smile like my dad. I know that's good. Our identity reflects who we are 
and whose we are. But that identity comes with a a responsibility. If you are God's child, well, then you ought to act like it. Our spiritual blessings in Christ also include being redeemed by the Son. Now, redemption, that word means that you and I have been forgiven of every sin we have ever committed and every sin that we have not yet committed. We've been freed from slavery to sin. Now, every one of us still sins, but sin isn't our master. Through Christ, the guilt of our sin has been removed. The, The power of the devil, the one who accuses us, his power has been destroyed. Going back to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul wrote there in verses 7 through 10, he said, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. There's a whole lot in those couple sentences there. Paul starts off and says, in him we have redemption. And when he says that, we need to realize that redemption is a a present reality. We have been redeemed. It's happened. We're redeemed today, we're still redeemed tomorrow, and we're redeemed far off into the future. Paul also wrote that God has made known to us the mystery of his will. In this case, scholars say that that mystery that that Paul's talking about is the God's plan of salvation. He sent Jesus to save us. One day Jesus will return and there will be unity, as Paul writes, in all things in heaven and earth. Simply put, heaven's going to come to earth. The paradise that is heaven will be here. Through Christ we see this mystery. The, the kind of the big picture of God's plan. But not only that, to be redeemed is to belong to Jesus, to belong to him. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, you are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Christ died for you, he died for me, he paid the ultimate price to save us, And that means we are his. We belong to him. And that's a good thing. That's an amazingly wonderful thing. You know, I have to admit, in my teens, I was a bit possessive. When I dated a girl, I wanted her to be mine and mine alone. Now, I will tell you, I wasn't overly weird. I didn't try to control the girls I dated too much. But I was jealous And jealousy wasn't attractive. By the time I met Mary, my jealous tendencies were gone. And if they hadn't gone away, I might still be single. See, our human possessiveness can be ugly. It can be controlling. And yet, Jesus says to you and me, he said, I paid the ransom for your life, you were mine. But that's a good thing, because he says, I will protect you. I love you. You are my cherished possession. I have prepared an eternal home where you can live with me. See, belonging to Jesus is absolutely beautiful. There is no downside to it. 
And our belonging to Jesus is something that can't be taken away from us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, And you, were, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, so you made a decision to believe, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Paul said that we were marked in Christ. We were marked in Christ as a seal. And and a seal in those days often indicated ownership and protection. And we are sealed in Christ with the promised Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, that day you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit came to live inside you. And the Holy Spirit protects us. He guides us. And he guarantees our inheritance. See, if you think of that guarantee, it's kind of like a down payment or maybe signing a contract on the dotted line. When you and I do that, say when we're buying a house and we sign that contract and we make that down payment, we're making a commitment. Sadly, sometimes we fail in those commitments. But the Holy Spirit never fails. So the third blessing we receive in Christ is to be sealed in the Spirit. He is our assurance for the future. He is our guarantee that heaven is our home. And I think assurance is is an area where we can naturally just kind of struggle sometimes. Sometimes those thoughts cross our mind and we say, am I really confident that I belong to Jesus? Or maybe we think, can I really know for certain that heaven is my home? I recently had a friend tell me how another man chastised him for his confidence that he had had a place in heaven. By believing that he knew, or by knowing that he was going to heaven, this other man said, my friend was being arrogant. He wasn't. If we trust in Jesus, realizing he is the only reason that we'll be in heaven, and we believe we're going to heaven, that isn't arrogance. That's faith. It's faith that God will keep his promises. 1 John 5.13 states it clearly. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. In John 27, 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he said, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor thing to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, in creation, I think that pretty well covers it, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have trusted your life to Christ, heaven is your home. God is with you. Now that doesn't mean you won't face hardship and suffering in this life. You will, I will, we all will. But God will get us through it. Jesus will never leave us. 
We have the power of the Holy Spirit inside us, helping, to live, helping us to live for Christ. You know, the blessings of being in Christ are nothing short of amazing. You know, this is good stuff. This is probably the best stuff we could ever hear. But the question is, so what? It's great to know that we've been chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and sealed in the Spirit, but, but so what? What do we do with that wonderful information? Well, throughout this passage, Paul has repeatedly shown us the so what, the what we are supposed to do, the how we are supposed to respond. Paul wrote in verse 3, he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6, he spoke of the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12 tells us it's all for the praise of his glory. And then finally, in verse 14, it ends by reminding us again that our salvation is to the praise of his glory. So what are we supposed to do in response to all this great and wonderful information we've been given? We praise God. We praise God as we worship God. And worship is living in Christ. Worship is a way of life. Worship is demonstrated by mission. Loving people impacting our community, and making disciples. I invite you to come back next week. We'll be talking about putting our mission, those statements, into action. And bring a friend with you. Amen.